Well, good morning, church family, and welcome to our quarterly observance of the Lord's Supper. Each time this comes around, I like to pause my normal preaching schedule in order to uh, choose a text specifically designed to teach us about this rite. And so today, instead of turning to Revelation, I'd like for us to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 800. And 81. Now, this chapter takes us all the way back to the very first communion observance. This is the one that Christ himself led with his apostles just before he was arrested. And this morning, I want to ask and answer three questions about the Lord's Supper using this text as our guide. The first question will be What is the Lord's Supper? Second question, for whom was this supper established? And finally, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Let's begin with that first question. Now I trust you have found your way to our text. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. I'll go all the way down to verse 20. Here's what the scripture says. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So John sent Peter and John, so Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, so what we have here is a record of the very first communion observance. And we learn here that it took place at the time that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the Passover. Now, of course, the Passover was the biggest holiday on the Jewish calendar. This commemorated the liberation of the Jewish people from their slavery in Egypt and their entrance into the Promised Land. And it particularly commemorated the tenth plague, which God unleashed on Egypt, for this plague was the one that finally changed Pharaoh's mind about keeping the Jews. And what God did on that tenth plague is that he sent his angel of death through the kingdom of Egypt And that angel was empowered to take the firstborn 
of every Egyptian family and of all of the livestock, but the Jewish people would be spared this awful fate in the following way. They were to take blood from a lamb, smear it over the doorpost of their house, and as they took shelter in the house, the angel of death would pass over them. That's how the holiday got its name, Passover. And this holiday was a foreshadowing of Christ and his sacrifice. Foreshadowed the fact that, that Christ would come. He would be the Lamb of God. That he would be slain. And that those who take refuge in Christ through repentance and faith would find safety. But Jesus and his apostles, they were celebrating this Passover feast together. They did this every year. But this time... Jesus did something that he had never done before. This time, as the Passover feast was coming to a close, Jesus took some of the leftover bread, and he distributed it to the apostles. And then he offered a word of thanks, and then they all partook of that bread together. And as they did so, Jesus said, This is my body. And he also distributed the wine. And as everyone was taking a sip of the wine, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And then in verse 19, we saw his final words here. He said, now do this, that is, do this ceremony in remembrance of me. So friends, this is the Lord's Supper or communion. It is a little ceremony established by Christ on the very night in which he was betrayed. And in this ceremony, Christ's disciples take a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine, two elements which represent the body and the blood of Christ. And we partake of these elements together, and we do so in his remembrance. That is the Lord's Supper. And looking at today's text, as well as the rest of the New Testament, it's clear that every single aspect of this ceremony is both essential and unalterable. Essential and unalterable. Which means, first of all, that this supper must be a regular part of church life. For you see, when Christ said, do this in remembrance of me, he was offering a command that required perpetual obedience. Just like all of Christ's other commands, like the command to love one another, or not to pray like the hypocrites do, or to turn the other cheek, or like the Great Commission itself, the command to go out into all the nations making disciples for Christ. This is a command for perpetual observance. Exactly how long were Christ's disciples to perpetuate this? Well, he explained here in this chapter they're to do it until his kingdom comes. The Apostle Paul elaborates on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says also, that we are to do this until he comes. So in other words, the Lord's Supper is a ceremony to be practiced by the disciples of Christ during the entire period between his first and second advents. We also learn here that the Lord's Supper is to be a public ceremony. Public ceremony, we see that again here in Luke chapter 22. Jesus did not introduce this rite one at a time to his disciples. Instead, he gathered them together as a group. And then 
he instituted the supper. So it's something to be done as a gathering of believers. When Christ said, do this in remembrance of me, we could paraphrase it to say, do it this way. Do it the way that I have done it with you. Gather disciples together and then partake of bread and then partake of wine and do it in my remembrance. Beyond this, every New Testament example that we have shows communion being practiced as a public ceremony. For example, in Acts 2, verse 42, it says that together the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. That's a reference to communion, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they observed this ordinance while they were together as a church family. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says the Lord's Supper should take place, quote, when you come together, when you come together. So again, this is to be a public ceremony, not a private observance. And then number three, we see here that the Lord's Supper must be observed with the elements of bread and wine. Now, during the pandemic, it became increasingly common for church leaders to encourage substitutes to bread and wine. I even watched one live stream in which the pastor looked into the camera and he said to all of his viewers, okay, now we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, so here's what I need you all to do. Run to your kitchens right now, get into your cupboards, get out some bread and wine. But then he said, if you don't have any bread and wine, that's okay. Go get milk and cookies, get whatever you can find. It doesn't matter. Well, actually, friends, it really, really does matter. Because, you see, Christ did not consecrate milk and cookies or chips and soda or whatever other substitutes that people might come up with. No, Christ consecrated bread and wine. And he chose these elements for a reason. He chose them because bread and wine provide the best possible visible representations of the spiritual truths that they are meant to convey. And so bread, for example, begins as a single loaf. It is then broken into pieces and consumed by disciples. Well, this visualizes Christ's body, which was whole, but then was broken for us at the cross. And then the wine. Wine symbolizes blood. It is the color of blood. In the Old Testament scriptures, wine is even called the blood of the grape. And so as we pour wine out of a cup, we have a visualization of Christ's blood being poured out for our sins. So you see, bread and wine were not chosen for uh, arbitrary reasons. No, they are the best objects for visualizing the truths that the Lord's Supper is meant to convey. The body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ poured out. And friends, in every New Testament passage we have that describes communion, we find bread and wine as the only elements being used. There are no legitimate substitutes. And so to go back to that first question, what is the Lord's Supper? Here is what it is. The Lord's Supper is a ceremony established by himself on the night he was betrayed. And it's a ceremony in which his believers gather together. They take some bread and wine representing his body and his blood. They partake of those elements together 
in remembrance of him, and they do so publicly and they do so perpetually as a memorial for him. Friends, faithful churches will therefore make the observance of the Lord's Supper a regular part of their congregational life. And that's why here at Grace Baptist Church, we observe the Lord's Supper four times a year. And just to make sure that it gets the weight that it deserves, we set aside our regular worship service. The preaching schedule is put on pause. Our normal order of worship is set aside. And we change everything to observe the Lord's Supper. We want it to be as it was at the first. We want it to have the weight that it ought to possess. Now, friends, let's sing of all of these weighty truths together. Hymns of Grace and Glory, number 228. All right, so we've answered our first question, what is the Lord's Supper? Now we turn to our second question, for whom was this supper established? And again, looking at Luke chapter 22, we see that the command to do this, to do this, was given to Jesus' apostles. And yet it's equally clear that it was not meant for the apostles alone. His command to the apostles here is like the Great Commission. He gave it to them, but not in their office as apostles, rather as he gave it to them as representatives of the entire church. And we know this is the case because in verse 16 of Luke 22, he explained that his disciples were to continue practicing the supper until the arrival of his kingdom. Now, his kingdom coincides with his second coming. Christ has not yet come back, but his apostles have been gone for a long time, for 1,900 years. Therefore, the supper must be meant for more than the apostles. It's meant for all of us, all of us Christians who live between his first and second advents. The Apostle Paul reaffirms this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. He says, quote, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, we see that this is a ceremony for all of the disciples of Christ for the entire time period between his first and second comings. And yet, just as important, we also learn from Scripture that the Lord's Supper is for only his disciples. It's for all of his disciples, but also only for his disciples. Now, it's significant that Christ waited until Judas had left the room before he instituted this supper, here in Luke chapter 22. Judas was one of the twelve original disciples, but of course we know that he was a fraud. He did a good job putting on an outward show of being a follower of Christ, but in his heart he knew, he knew that he really despised Christ. Christ knew this as well from the very beginning. It was part of his plan to have a betrayer in his midst. Now, Judas was permitted to celebrate the Passover feast with Jesus and the other disciples. And yet Jesus waited until Judas left before the Lord's Supper was established. 
He was letting us know that it is only for disciples. This is also why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, quote, Let a person examine himself before he partakes of the Lord's Supper. Then he says in the next verse, For if anyone eats and drinks unworthily, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. What does it mean to, to partake in an unworthy manner? Well, it means that you're partaking when you know internally that you are not a true disciple of Christ. You've not closed with Christ. It means you're putting on the external show of being one of his followers. Maybe you're going to church. Maybe you speak well of him. But internally, you are very, very far from him. That's to partake in an unworthy manner. And Paul says, eat under those conditions and you are just eating and drinking judgment on yourself. You see, our Lord takes a very low view of hypocrisy. And that's what we're doing when we partake unworthily. We're partaking as hypocrites. We're saying to everyone around us, yes, I love Christ and I want to please him with my life. I want to be identified with Christ and his people. On the outward part, we're saying that. But inwardly, we want nothing to do with him. And so the Lord's Supper is a discriminating ordinance. That is to say, it's an ordinance meant to draw a circle around the true disciples of Christ in order to distinguish them from those on the outside who are not his. Christ's disciples are those who are baptized in his name. And they are those who renew their communion with him at regular intervals by eating the bread and drinking from the cup, proclaiming his death until he comes back. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. And what this means for all of us, friends, is that before any of us partakes, we should make sure that we are asking the question, am I truly a disciple of Christ? This is not a call for morbid introspection in which we try to peer into every dark corner of our lives looking for any sins that maybe we have long forgotten about that we need to dredge back up. This is not a call to wallow in guilt or things like that. It's simply to pause for a moment and to ask ourselves, have we truly understood the gospel message? Do we understand that Christ is the eternal Son of God, that he came to earth, put on human flesh, so that he became the God-man, one person with two natures, and he did this so that he could be our Savior? Do you understand that he lived a perfect life and that he went to the cross to bear the punishment of your sins? Do you understand that he bore the full weight of it all on his shoulders there at the cross? That he died for your sake? but that he rose again, showing the all-sufficiency of his sacrifice, showing that he has power over sin and death and hell. And have you looked at yourself and seen your need for such a Savior? Have you then come to God through Christ in repentance and in faith? Have you claimed his sacrifice as your own? Have you declared your, your commitment, your resolve to be Christ's? These are the kinds of questions that we need to ask ourselves before we partake. Friends, it's something that you could do even in these moments if you haven't yet. As we all sit in our seats and sing together, you could be offering a prayer to God, asking Him to be gracious to you, 
explaining to him that you now repent and believe in him, becoming one of his own. Would you do that today? Well, let's sing of this truth together now, hymn number 552. So now we've answered the first question, what is the Lord's Supper? And the second question, for whom was this supper established? Now we turn to our final question, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? And friends, the purpose of the Supper is captured in Jesus' words in Luke 22, verse 19, where he says, Do this in remembrance of me. And so the Lord's Supper is a memorial service. And especially, it's a memorial of His dying love. As He explained earlier, the bread represents His body, which was broken for us. And the wine represents His blood, which was shed for us. And so as we partake of these elements together, what we are primarily doing is remembering Remembering his sacrifice. Now, many years ago, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon from Luke 22 on the Lord's Supper. And I think he captures the essence of it very well in these words. And in this portion of his sermon, he takes on the voice of Christ himself. And Christ says to us, Do this in remembrance of what I underwent for you. Do this in remembrance of the agony I was in, in the garden. How my soul was sorrowful even unto death. How I was taken and handed, arraigned and condemned like a malefactor. Mocked, spit upon, and buffeted by men. When, how I was nailed to the cross and there hung for hours together in extreme pain and torture. Remember what dreadful sufferings I underwent in my soul when the Father was departed from me. And when I endured the terrible effects of his wrath for your sakes. Remember how my blood was shed, how my soul was poured out unto death. As we partake together as a church family today, my friends, remember the dying love of your Lord. Remember how he was willing to put on human flesh for the purpose of experiencing death. Remember all of the sufferings he endured for your sake. Remember the torture of the cross. Remember the spiritual agony that he endured as he experienced for the first time in his existence separation from his Father and wrath poured upon him. Remember as he experienced death for your sakes. But then, friends, the Lord's Supper is also more than that because Jesus did not just say, do this in remembrance of my sacrifice. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And so, as we partake of these elements, we're dwelling upon the sacrifice of Christ. But more than that, we're dwelling on all of the excellencies of his person. To remember him means that we remember his uniqueness as son of God and son of man. And we remember his perfect righteousness. Do you understand that Christ, from conception to death, did not even sin one time? 
He was tempted to sin over and over again, tempted by the devil himself, but he always resisted sin's pull. He always did the right thing. Remember that righteousness. Remember Christ's compassion for sinners, exemplified in his incarnation, how the one who was heaven's joy, robed in glory from eternity, how he was willing to hide all of that behind human flesh, live in poverty for decades, suffer cruelty, mockery, and scorning. And during the death of the cross, remember, he did this because of his compassion for sinners. Remember the baptism with which he was baptized. It was the baptism of John. This was a baptism of repentance. Christ stepped into those waters and received his baptism, not because he had sins to repent of, but because he wished to identify himself with those whom he came to save. He came to seek and to save the lost, the sinners seeking repentance. And don't forget the cross, the ultimate example of his compassion for sinners. Friends, remember Christ's perfect obedience to his Father, how it was the Father's will to send him for our sakes, and Christ joyfully took on that assignment. Remember how much Christ loves his church. He calls the church his bride. Every day of his life, he lives for the church. Even now, he's in heaven interceding for the church at the Father's right hand. Ponder the strength and courage of Christ. We see it in his bold proclamations of the truth during his earthly ministry. We see it also in the miracles that he performed. And never for himself, you understand, but every miracle performed for the spiritual benefit of those who receive the miracle. And think of the ultimate display of Christ's strength as he endured the fullness of the cross. How he was willing to accept all of the taunting, all of the wrath of God, and yet he did not release himself from the cross. He endured it all to the very end. That's the greatest display of strength that he ever gave us. And then think of the mercy of Christ, how even as his hands were being nailed to the wood, he was praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My friends, when Christ says, do this in remembrance of me, he is telling us, yes, recall the events of my sacrifice. But more than that, more than that, recall the excellencies of my person. And it means another thing. It means to renew our affection for him. Remember me means renew your affection for me. Same way that we would do as we would think of any departed loved one. See, I do a lot of funeral services for people in our community. In fact, I just did another one yesterday afternoon. And all of these funerals always go the same way. Family and friends all gather together. And as they begin to remember their loved one, it isn't just an intellectual exercise for them. But as they remember their loved ones, they begin to laugh, and they begin to cry, and they experience the full range of human emotions. And what's happening there? Well, what's happening is that as they mentally recall the events, they are becoming emotionally engaged. They're remembering that person's love for them, and then they're remembering their love for the one they've lost. 
It's an emotional experience, not just an intellectual one. And friends, when Christ says to his church, do this in remembrance of me, he means the same thing. He means, yes, you recall in your mind all that I am and all that I've done, but then you allow it to work into your heart and stir up your emotions once more. And so, friends, as we partake of the bread and and of the wine, let us renew our love for Christ. He loves us with an infinite love. Let us love him in return with all that we can give to him. And as we partake, let us renew our gratitude for Christ. And let us renew our, our sense of humility as, as, we, as we ponder the fact that, that the eternal Son of God should be willing to come for our sakes and to live and to die and to rise again. Who are we that the Son of God should have such regard for us? And let us partake with sadness this morning as we think about the fact that it was our sins which necessitated the cross. Let us think with sadness about how our Lord was mistreated. But then let us also observe the supper with gladness as we think, He was willing to do this for me, and His death means my life. It means I am now reconciled to God. Be happy in this supper. And then as you partake, also renew your resolve to be a committed follower of Christ. That everything that Christ said to do, that you will commit to doing. Every truth he taught, you will commit to believing. Every attitude that he told us about, we will embrace. Every vice, we will forsake. Friends, let the observance of the Lord's Supper do this work within you. Let it bring the memory of your Lord back to the front of your minds. Let it stir your hearts anew with affection for him. And then fourthly, friends, Christ ordained this suffer to be a public declaration of his worth. And so as we partake, let us declare our value for Christ or the value we place upon Christ. The Apostle Paul explains this aspect of the supper in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six when he says, Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, question, proclaim it to whom? Well, we're proclaiming it to each other, but also to the world around us. Every single time we gather as a church family around this table and we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, we are publicly declaring that Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he is of absolute supreme worth. And this is why we want to remember him. And the world sees us participating in this supper. The world may not know a whole lot about the church of Jesus Christ, but it does know a few things. It knows that we preach the gospel, it knows that we baptize our converts, and it knows we observe communion. It knows these three things about the church. All three are public declarations of gospel truth. My friends, as we publicly proclaim his death through this supper, God does his spiritual work in hearts. First of all, he ministers to our spirits as we partake. The Spirit of Christ comes 
manifests himself in a special way so that as we remember him and ponder his excellencies and renew our affections for him, his Holy Spirit is working in us to grow those affections still further. But he is also working on the unbelievers around us, convicting them of sin, drawing them to faith in his Son. Back in colonial New England, there was a pastor named Solomon Stoddard. He was so influential, they called him the Pope of the Connecticut River Valley. Not a nickname he appreciated. But Solomon Stoddard came to faith in Christ as a pastor while distributing the elements of the Lord's Supper. He was preaching about the sacrifice of Christ. And then when it came time for everyone to partake... His emotions began to overwhelm him as he realized he was a Christian in name only. And as he partook, he began to realize Christ had done this for him. He had died for him, shed his blood for him. And as the weight of all of that came sinking down, Solomon Stoddard stopped and bowed and prayed the sinner's prayer right there in the middle of the communion service. You see, God does a spiritual work on people in these moments. So friend, if you are here and you are a true disciple of Christ, please partake of these elements and partake of them with all of the affection that a disciple of Christ should. But then if you're here and you've concluded you are still far from Christ, then do this. As the others partake of the elements, you receive Christ himself in repentance and faith. And then the next time we have this communion observance, you'll be able to partake with us as a fellow disciple. Friends, all of this is encompassed in that command to remember him. Let's sing of our desire to remember him together now. Hymn 463. Now let me ask the ushers to please come forward as we prepare to partake of the elements. And as they're making their way forward, I'll just make a brief mention of the format uh, that we have here. You may know that in some denominations, the pastor stands in front of the table while everyone comes up and receives the elements from his hand. That's because in these traditions, the pastor is a priest. He stands between the believer and their God, dispensing God's grace. Well, we don't affirm that teaching at Grace Baptist Church. We teach that we are all equals in the sight of God. We may have different roles within the local church, but spiritually we are equal. And I'm not your pastor, I'm simply a minister of Christ. And so we pull the table forward and I stand behind it so that we can gather around the table together as equals. And I will hand the elements to the ushers. They will distribute them to you. And then I will distribute the elements to them. We'll serve each other this morning. Well, knowing now what the supper will look like, let's begin. The scriptures tell us that on the very night in which our Lord was betrayed, he first took bread and then he gave thanks. Luke, would you please take the microphone beside you and offer thanks for the bread before us today. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love, your faithfulness, Lord, and your sacrifice for us, Lord. And we ask you to be honored and glorified as we partake in remembrance of you, Lord. Remember that you loved your own, you loved them to the end, Lord. And we thank you, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus broke the bread and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the scriptures say that in the same way, our Lord also took the cup. And again, he gave thanks. I'd like to ask Eric if he would please take the microphone and give thanks for the uh, bread, or excuse me, for the cup that we have before us. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today um, for this special ceremony. Uh, I ask that in this ceremony as we partake that you uh, please help us remember Jesus and the sacrifice that he gave for us. And that I hope that we can, uh, we can use this ceremony to remember him and use that remembrance in our decisions as we live. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
when Jesus lifted the cup and said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then finally our Lord said, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. To that all of God's people say, Amen. And come Lord Jesus. Jesus.